It's the 84th episode of the OpFat Cast. It's October. And our October tradition every single year is to choose some horror directors to expose Sean Glynis to and usually upset him greatly. Uh, well, sometimes we give him something good. We throw him a bone. Uh, but last year, I think we just about broke him. And this year might be the death blow. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Sean, how you doing? Good, 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 good. Definitely good. I'm Definitely very so... good. I'm so... I like your radio voice that you're working on right now. <laughs> real deep throat thing going. That was Rain Man gets a show. <laughs> uh, so last year, we we pretty much broke you with uh, Joe D'Amato. And who, who you've, been, you've been in recovery it, ever since. Was last year Roland or was that? Oh, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, that was Roland as well. Roland and D'Amato. And, uh... Yeah, did, did you think that we could break you down anymore after that? Where does one go? Where does one go after porno holocaust? Yeah, um, D'Amato was fun, but uh, rough. But you know, there was just sort of like a, a weird detachment. Same with Roland, but I really liked uh, those movies to a certain extent. Um, and this year we have uh, freaking Toby Hooper. Um, who I've never really had much interest in, but this so it's kind of it kind of feels a bit uh, obligatory, obligatory, however you want to say it. You know, it kind of feels like you know everybody does Hooptober, uh, so I kind of feel like I'm in normie territory. But um, I feel like what we're pairing it with on the next podcast is is a, a good sort of uh, chaser. Um, I mean, but, we keep you around for your big normie vibes, so it makes right. sense. And uh, joining us to uh, to, to go <laughs> on our Toby Hooper adventure, we got uh, Adam Myros is here with us. Sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm here. Here. I'm uh, trying to get, trying to get buried Toby. by... Uh, it's, been, um, it, it's been a while since we've done one of these, it feels like, so I kind of forgot. I know, that. man. It has. It's, it's been a little bit. How? Okay, so Myros, do you know what a Hooptober is? Are you familiar with this? I've I've never heard the phrase, but uh, I I honestly I don't know what it is either. It's a thing that people do on Letterbox. I mean, yeah, Sawtober, like, Sawtober, sure. Yeah, we did Sawtober one year. That fucking sucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Hooptober. I don't know. It's a thing people do on Letterbox, and it feels like it's older than that. Like some dork probably started mm-hmm. it on like the something awful forums or something. But it's Nicole. basically people watch a horror movie for every day of. October, which is like some straight up like Instagram meme stuff, like the 30 day horror challenge. Watch a different <laughs> movie and then talk about it. And I don't, I don't know how Toby Hooper got into. I mean, does Toby Hooper have 31 movies? Could you I, do that with Toby Hooper? I, I don't believe he does. And if you were watching his like 31st best movie, then God help your soul. Yeah, that would that would be kind of rough. I, I don't uh, know. Uh, yeah. Sean, you you said you hadn't been really exposed to to Toby Hooper before, but I mean, at least the big guns, right? You've seen Poltergeist. You've seen Texas Chainsaw before this month. Zero. Zero. You've never seen Poltergeist either. That's so weird. Yeah. I <laughs> we think went, I've I been mean, we... exposed to part of it as I was as a kid, like just little snippets here and there. But yeah. Sure, sure. Well, we actually we didn't include Poltergeist because, uh, well, we'll get into it. But Toby Hooper is a man known for his troubled productions. <laughs> 
And yes, Poltergeist yeah. is one of those where it's not really a Toby Hooper movie. I mean, he's listed as the director, but it certainly feels like more of a Steven Spielberg movie who was a producer on the film. So, you know, uh, not not really. Not, not it it couldn't Toby feel movie. like less of a Toby Hooper movie. No, it's very, absolutely not. It's very accessible and hmm. uh, fun to promising. watch. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a great movie. Yeah, it's fantastic, but it's it's extremely accessible and and wholesome, and it's paced in a way that most of his movies aren't. And yeah, there's I like think, tension. There, there's some tension in there. That's something you don't generally see in uh, a Toby Hooper movie. No, well, Toby Hooper just kind of assaults you. Uh, well, and I, I think the only thing that's Toby Hooperish in Poltergeist is I think like giant mud pit in the backyard full of skeletons was probably his idea. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, after watching these, so uh, so what I watched for this was um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, Eaten Alive, uh, Life Force, and then I watched. Uh, I only got through the first hour of the Mangler before we were <laughs> recording, um, uh-huh. so that's what I'm working with. But as I was watching the Mangler, I was kind of trying to think about um, this style, like you were kind of saying, Poltergeist is is doesn't have these indicators of hooper's style hoop mm-hmm. style and um uh i i don't know like you know i've only seen four and a half of the of his movies but uh you know there's obviously it, it to me it seemed like texas chainsaw massacre 2 and eaten alive were the most similar like almost like um th- those and obviously texas chainsaw kind of feel like they're in the same universe um and obviously the same milieu but uh and then you have life force which is just that doesn't feel like a toby hooper movie as as i know it um and then the mangler is something entirely different that feels like a real studio movie um with like polish and like um a mise-en-scene that is kind of ornate um but yeah, I don't know. So what do you guys think of when you talk about Hooper's style? Are you uh, talking about I, more of like the, the knickknacks, you know, like talking <laughs> about like the mud and, and pit and stuff like that? That's part of it. I mean, I, I think I immediately associate Toby Hooper with griminess and sleaziness. Yeah, and yeah. when people talk about, you know, 42nd Street in New York and Grindhouse films and like what, what is like what is an exploitation film? What is a Grindhouse film? What what is that? And for me, it's it really is. It's it's Texas Chainsaw and it's and it's eaten alive. Those two pretty much embody everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw makes sense because and I'm sure I'll get flack for this because people will be like, oh, what about uh, Night of the Living Dead and uh, also these horror movies that uh, I'm sure you haven't seen? But really, Texas Chainsaw was one of the first movies, along with Night of the Living Dead, that really brought a, a, a different type of exploitation horror cinema to movie theaters around the country. Mm-hmm. And Texas Chainsaw in particular was interesting because it was just banned Everywhere It was one of those movies where it, it was a real moral panic film. Uh, kind of like The Joker, Sean. I don't know if you've seen The Joker. Uh, ultimate too moral scary. panic film. Yeah, too scary for me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid. As, as an incel, I would probably commit you know, wholesale acts of violence, so I couldn't see it. Uh, but 
yeah, it, Texas Chainsaw is one of the first movies just to really gain a reputation as this thing like, oh my God, you really, you have to see, it's, it's so shocking and horrifying. And it's so funny because Hooper's later work and sort of a lot of the discourse around Hooper and, and how we talk about him as a filmmaker and Texas Chainsaw in particular is it's like, oh my gosh, it's so, it's violent and uh, uh and it is, but mm-hmm. there's really not a lot of blood it's not a it's not a blood and tits type of horror movie, which again right. is something you might uh, associate with exploitation films. But the thing about Texas Chainsaw is it's got this gritty sixteen millimeter look, and it's relentless, just yeah. absolutely relentless. I mean, the soundtrack it it sounds like Toby Hooper is just banging on things, and if I remember correctly. Uh, I'm pretty sure he scored it himself with a, a, a little help from a couple other people, but I think he just had like a bunch of weird, like traditional African instruments and, you know, it, just weird shit that he didn't know how to play. And that was how he came up with the soundtrack, which makes sense. Um, but it's just, it's got this like just grating, relentless sound to it. And once it kicks in, like it starts off and it's just sort of, it's it's weird and it's unsettling and it you could just everybody is dusty and sweaty like i feel like when you're watching it you can almost smell them through the screen like they have to right. stink like absolute shit and it it really is it's just outrageous and relentless and and that's kind of where the the mythos around it has come from and i got to say too another thing about it is establishing leatherface is like a real horror icon and Part of that, it's it's the costume design, which, again, I don't think... It, there's probably one costume, and over the course of filming for a month, I doubt they washed it once. So it just it looks disgusting. And the mask, because it's shot in 16mm, and surprise, it's not lit very well, uh, the way that the white in the mask just sort of pops out, and you can't make out the actor's eyes at all. They're just these kind of, like, dead gray circles in the center of his face it really is kind of it's unsettling and it's still kind of holds it holds up for me and there's not a lot in the world of horror that can kind of do what it's doing it's it's very singular right. in its vision and execution it's not a movie i like but uh <laughs> it's a movie i i appreciate you know i i it, it, it's the archetype of a very specific genre of horror and it's not a genre of horror I've ever found much enjoyment with, but that's all right. I, I actually, yeah. it's it's not among my favorites of his films, and I mean he's not a director I'm particularly enamored of to begin with, but he's interesting. If I were, if you watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is certainly his definitive film, you would you would think he was more of a realist, but. That's not borne out in his future yeah. projects. I think that the main through line in Hooper's style to me is that he feels like a guy who never should have got popular. Like he's he's a director whose films actively antagonize. He's like the, the butthole surfers of, of movie directors. Or something. <laughs> yeah. He's making music that he he doesn't want anyone to enjoy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, oh no! Absolutely, absolutely. It's like, how did the I, butthole surfers have a hit album in the early nineties? Right. I, I, there's a lot of, you know, cultural and in, industry things that were at play at that time. But like, realistically, it's absolutely ridiculous that the butthole surfers had a hit album, and it's right. equally ridiculous that Toby Hooper was suddenly 
just like, oh yeah, let's let's give this guy a lot of money and let him do studio films. Yeah, and not, <laughs> neither he nor the butthole surfers were really able to handle that. They didn't know how to move forward after that success that they had no no seeming interest in. Yeah, I think I came away with uh, uh, with a similar vibe so far. Like I think, um, you know, when with your watching these wholesale like or director's works wholesale like i usually only do that of my own volition when it's somebody i'm like really digging you know like um i went through like brian de palma's work earlier this year and that was just like really fun and just just really digging it but like uh doing it for somebody who i don't cling to right away there's there's sort of like um i I, I appreciate it, which sounds condescending, but like, I think it's something that I need to sit with. And then like, now that I know what it is, like have that introduction, like revisit, like down the road when I'm like willing to come back to it and like, yeah, just kind of know what it is because otherwise I like, if I was just doing this of my own volition, I would have watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then like just sort of set it aside and then maybe moved on to, to a couple others down the road, um, which might've been a more fruitful experience but that's not what we're here for um, well you know sean if we really wanted to hurt you uh we would have made you watch the other three texas chain or three there's, <laughs> i think there's like another five texas chainsaw massacre movies uh because there is let's see well, I mean, there's one and two obviously those are the hooper ones uh but there was god there's one with like renee zellweger in it uh yeah that there the did he do them all texas no, chainsaw no, no. Three. he just did the first two yeah, Texas Chainsaw Three Leatherface stars uh, Vigo Mortensen, I believe, and then mm-hmm. Texas yeah. Chainsaw, the next generation or new generation, something like that, is uh, McConaughey and Renee Zellweger. Yeah, oh, wow. And both of those, uh, you know, Toby Hooper didn't have anything to do with those films, but he was there in spirit because both of them had like horribly troubled productions. Uh, I know mm. Leatherface was. I mean, it's a bad script to begin with. You can't really do much with it, but the studio took final cut of it, and if you watch it now, there's a lot of parts of it that just don't make any sense, like just all kinds of narrative loose ends and and just things that are out of sequence, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. And then the one with McConaughey and Renee Zellweger, uh, that one, they were filming it, and then they finished it, and... Jerry Maguire was about to come out and Zellweger's and that so they were like okay let's hold on to this and then we'll put it out after Zellweger gets big with Jerry Maguire but then there was some sort of conflict over that decision like for some reason they thought it was unethical which is hilarious because it's like studios do shit like that all the time and so they ended up only releasing it to like 10 theaters or something so it's basically just dumped into video stores unceremoniously because there's no video on demand so both of those were disasters, and then there were a couple in the early to mid-2000s. One has, like, Jessica Biel in it, um, and both of those were, I think they were kind of, like, received in a lukewarm way, but they're very, they're not Texas Chainsaw-y. They're just, they just feel like that era, that early 2000s era of horror slasher film. There's, no, there's nothing really that remarkable about him. Yeah, I think it's the <laughs> same guy directed the remake as directed the Friday the 13th remake. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's very much just like a, a 2000s dump it out product. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, right right along with, uh, yeah, Friday the 13th remake as well as the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I think all three of those pretty much fall in the same category of not good and I usually forget that they exist. 
Sure, well, the sure. Nightmare on Elm Street remake is substantially worse than all of them. Oh yeah, that's the absolute worst by a hundred. And the thing, the times. thing, I mean, that that all sounds horrible. Uh, but um, the thing that uh, I liked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is, you know, obviously it feels homemade. And so when you have these moments like him wielding the the uh, chainsaw in like the sunlight or whatever. Um, it's just like he captures something that feels very poetic and you know just sort of like pure cinema moment that just feels very like I said homemade and um, and beautiful Uh, and then Texas Chainsaw 2 is just sort of like a um, whiplash in terms of like uh, style and and, you know you have like Dennis Hopper right away which is not a bad thing but just like it, it you know it's a it's a feels like a different property uh for at least for a little bit to me um but uh and i'll come back to that in a second but i think the other problem is that i i watched life force second which killed a lot <laughs> killed a lot of momentum for me like me and myros watched that together and uh myros you had seen it before correct yeah and i had like apparently lied to myself in my mind i'm like oh yeah this movie's great fun no it's not it's fucking terrible it's terrible people like it and cuff i don't know you might like it but yeah i'm not not huge on it and it's one of those movies i've seen it three times now and i think (laughs) every time i've watched it i i like it a little bit more but i also realize that it's it, it it feels compromised in a lot of ways and there's it almost feels like two separate movies and there's so much yeah there's there's it's got some major pacing issues but yes. one major thing that it does do issues, major acting issues uh, it's just so <laughs> dull in that second half like it's just like end uh yeah. so yeah like i said i think that killed a lot of momentum for me for this project unfortunately but um and then uh you know texas chainsaw massacre 2 starts off pretty well and then you have cinema's worst character ever or most annoying character ever uh chop top chop top, oh, chop was, top is an icon ha- no, take yeah, chop I'm top's sure. name out of your mouth i was happy to see some solidarity with some uh mutuals uh who just happened to be watching it during october for the first time and just also finding it uh, him super annoying because i it was one of those things and again i I realized that a lot of this, you know, is embedded in my tastes. It's not like trying, like I had, I struggled with Toby Hooper in terms of trying to find uh, sort of like this, what he means to uh, cinema and what he means to his fans and whatever, like trying to find some objective truth. I struggled with that a lot because so much of his stuff is grading to my taste or like with Chop Top or it's just, uh, left of center for my taste, you know, like, so, like just his aesthetics. Um, and so it just was, it was definitely a struggle for me, but, um, yeah, that, that chop talk character, like I said, it was like, <laughs> I don't know if it's a, like, I'm not trying to say it's a bad character, but I just wanted to turn my TV off like every time he was on. <laughs> I'm telling well, you, that's my, my grand theory here is that that is uh, Hooper's aim every time he makes a movie. Sure. It's like, yeah. Boy, I really want everyone to stop watching this immediately. Like, I I just watched Eaten Alive for the first time for this project, and, like, five minutes in, I'm like, who the fuck would, like, continue watching this movie of their own volition? Right. Like, it's just this... The score is... 
it's like Texas Chainsaw's score turned up to eleven. It's just yeah. like make yeah. your Toby ears Hooper bleed. invented noise music. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it is just ear shattering noise, and then it opens with like Robert Englund trying to like anally rape a prostitute, and I'm like, who the f- wouldn't have like ninety nine percent of humans just be like, all right, I'm out. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it's interesting too that Eaten Alive is his second film because surface level I, I think it shares a lot with Texas Chainsaw it's it's outrageous it is relentlessly aggressive in how it approaches the audience um, but the thing that I, I love about Eaten Alive is in a lot of ways it feels like when people talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and they kind of frame it as this like oh it's gory and it's shocking and it's this and it's that when really it's it's pretty tame in a lot of ways, Eaten Alive feels like the movie they're actually talking about because this movie is there's there's a lot going on. <laughs> it is just it's way gorier. Um, there, God, the the soundtrack, like you said, it's it's similar to Texas Chainsaw, but just turned up to eleven. And then also, this happens more towards the end of the movie, but the soundtrack kind of kicks back in and it just kind of moves its way up in the sound mix while the only other sounds you're hearing are like women screaming at ear-piercing <laughs> volumes. Right. And you have all these things going on and everything is so scuzzy and sleazy and gross. But then it's, it's contrasted with the fact that for whatever reason, Toby Hooper was like, instead of shooting this movie again in Texas... Why don't we just shoot it on a, on a soundstage somewhere? So it's like if you took Texas Chainsaw Massacre and turned it into an X-rated, like, Tennessee Williams play or something. Right, right. It looks fucking insane. Like, it, it looks like a universal <laughs> horror movie or something. Like, it is a, a soundstage and yeah, a it is, it, That's the thing. It is, it is very, very, like, every time you see a set, and there's not that many. I would I would say there's probably less than 10 sets that he utilizes throughout the movie. And when you see it, especially outside of the, the Starlight Motel, it is very visibly a soundstage. And then he he kind of doubles down on that artifice because all of the, the lighting, it's just like endless fog machine with, you know, red blood red magenta lighting for no reason. Just, you know, why not? Sure. Yeah, and yeah, the- I kind of like that. I kind of like that stuff. Um, yeah, I thought that was amusing or uh, interesting. Looked cool. Oh, yeah. I I did too. Like I thought the first like forty minutes of Eaten Alive, I was like on board. I was like, okay, this is very interesting. Uh, around about yeah. the time like William Finley's character, who is you know a De Palma regular. Uh, when his character is killed in the same way that every character is killed when crazy Innsman hacks them up with a with his mo haircut <laughs> uh and then a, a a pool toy uh alligator chomps him up uh, <laughs> but yeah when his character that first couple that comes to the the inn mm-hmm. uh when they when he exits the movie it becomes substantially lesser to me but it still has again like Texas Chainsaw there are moments in this movie that just they hit home there's some real artistry yeah. at work here this if if you watch those two films you'd be like okay this guy's doing something he's headed somewhere and 
you never really see that again in his career. Uh, I'm not saying those are his two best films, but I'm saying they're definitely they feel more like the work of an auteur, uh, someone yeah. with a singular vision. And I don't think you ever see that again from Toby Hooper. But no, yeah. and, and part of that, uh, part of it, a lot of it isn't really Hooper's fault. Also, I just want to say that uh, in Eaten Alive, Judd the the killer, he. He kind of looks like Toby Hooper. He looks like if Toby Hooper like fucked Stephen King in 1981 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... thought it was Stephen King at first. I'm like, is this like creep show Stephen King? <laughs> right. Uh, so the the funny thing about Toby Hooper, well, it's really funny. It's kind of sad. Is he's he's one of these filmmakers that's just like, I'm gonna make this movie. I don't care who gives me money. I don't care whatever. I'm just making it. And so Texas Chainsaw famously didn't have much of a budget and uh, they they weren't able to pay people so what he ended up doing was he he sold off shares of the future movie profits and then he kind of ran out of those shares so then he had to sell all of his shares in the movie to a company that would actually distribute the film and the company that he sold the distribution rights to uh, it was like a mafia-run company, <laughs> so that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And also, all the actors, and, and this is why you don't, you don't. it's like, oh, why isn't all these people from Texas Chainsaw 1? Why, why don't we have more people in Texas Chainsaw 2 from the first movie? And the reason is, is because everybody hated his fucking guts uh, because <laughs> he, when he sold his shares, he sold his shares to the, the people... On that, he, that were making, he was making the movie with, and then he sold those same shares to the producers. So they were actually making like a fraction of a fraction in residuals. Oh. So no one ever made any money. And like Gunnar Hansen, they they tried to get him back, and he wouldn't do Leatherface again. So they had to get someone else. Um, you know, none of the original actors came back. A lot of people still, for years, like just are like fuck Toby Hooper. Uh, and then when he got to Eaten Alive. Same type of scenario where he ran out of money <laughs> and then he got frustrated because the studio was meddling with what he was trying to do. Uh, so he just abandoned the project at the end and then the producer went back and just shot a lot of like boob shots. So I think <laughs> there's there's that one scene where the woman is, I think she's just like getting like changed in the bedroom or the bathroom or something mm -hmm. and it's just weird because the camera's just kind of stationary and she's just like walking around topless for no reason and you're like, right. like what why why is this happening oh yeah and it's edited yeah. horribly too it's yeah because that's because the producer went back and he's just like ah, i need more titties in this one because it's supposed <laughs> to be like happening in real time the bathtub is is like filling up and then it'll cut to like <laughs> five minutes outside of him like crawling under the porch and then it cuts back and the bath water's still running and she's just still standing there <laughs> I'm like, who edited this? It, it feels like an eternity is passing while she's filling yeah. this bathtub. Out. Yeah. See, and I the answer is was, uh, producer guy. Uh, I wonder if producer guy also worked on Life Force. Uh, it's it's possible. Um, <laughs> I mean, that movie's got problems of its own. Uh, namely, I would guess a lot of cocaine. That seems to be an issue there. Uh, well, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, that was the last movie that Hooper made for Canon Films. And uh, mm -hmm. I think he had like a three film deal. So it was probably, was it Funhouse maybe? Maybe it wasn't Funhouse. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But uh, I, I know he, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. He did um, 
Life Force, and then the other one must have been... Oh, it's probably Invaders from Mars. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is the, is the last one that he makes, and at this point, Cannon is sick of his shit. So he... <laughs> for some reason, people still love, love Toby Hooper, like big Hollywood people. So originally, William Friedkin wanted to produce Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And the screenwriter for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was uh, a man who had just won a great deal of acclaim for writing a little film called Paris, Texas. <laughs> Ooh. So, yeah, same screenwriter there. And so they, they went to go to production. And it turned out that Canon was like, uh, we're going to cut a, a massive portion of your budget. So you have a fraction of what you had before. But they saw to move forward th- with this movie because everything was just sort of in motion. So... Uh, the the screenwriter from Paris, Texas. I should probably look up his name so I can actually uh, yeah, say who he is. Remember. His name uh, is oh, uh, L. Kit M. Carson. Kit Carson. Yeah, Kit Carson. He was on set the entire time for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and the movie wrapped on July 4th, and he was continuously, throughout two months of shooting, continuously rewriting it. And if you look at the last draft, of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 um, uh, screen, screenplay, it's dated, and it's dated June 30th. So that's when he stopped writing the movie, and they wrapped on July 4th. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly there are some issues going on here. Uh, but the, the great thing about it, I mean, you, you have this amazing screenwriter. You have Toby Hooper. You have... Uh, just incredible special effects and set design and there's just all these things going on there and toby hooper you know he's got all this cultural cachet that's stored up in texas chainsaw massacre 2 and clearly canon wants texas chainsaw massacre the original just again that's all they're looking for and he says no fuck you we're gonna do something completely outrageous but in a different way i'm gonna make a comedy that's just what i'm doing (laughs) and it's it is incredible to watch I'm i'm a big fan of this movie well, it's very interesting. Uh, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was watching it earlier, and I was enjoying it a great deal, and it was making me think of like how it would be differently received if it didn't predate like Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it, too, is it's... Because <laughs> I, I mean, Evil Dead 2 is, a, is another... It's a, it's a great example of a movie that's like, okay, well, here's our serious business horror movie with like some light comedic elements to it, but let's crank up the comedy in the, in the subsequent, you know, movie that's basically a remake. Uh, whereas Texas Chainsaw is just, it's outlandish, but that, that is a good point. Kind of like juxtaposing it with that. I don't know. There's just, there's so much in this movie that is, I mean, you want to, you want to talk about a movie about an incel. Leatherface is the ultimate incel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he literally he literally cannot perform. That, that's the most on-the-nose fucking scene I have this, ever watched in my entire life. Is that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 where he, like, puts it up slowly up her thigh? Yeah, like, he... <laughs> she's sitting and she's, like, soaking wet. And then he's, like, putting the, the chainsaw by her thigh. And then at one point he tries to start the chainsaw and it won't work. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's a good scene. That's Yeah, it's, it's something. And... God, the the set design again, considering that their budget was slashed so much, this movie is just—it's amazing to watch how they did this because, uh, 
they, they, it was shot in, it wasn't a soundstage, it was actually an old newspaper factory. So uh, it used to be the, I don't know, the, you know, fuck your sister times or whatever and who the hell cares, <laughs> Texas. And Chop top yeah, times. Yeah, <laughs> the chop top times. And so they, they had this old newspaper factory that had been abandoned for 30 years. And when they went in there to light everything, mm-hmm. uh, it was like the whole building was just coated, especially in the rafters, with printer's ink. So all these people were just covered in filth and like couldn't breathe. So that was a huge problem. And then when they finally built everything, they're like, okay, so we've, we've kind of pre-lit this whole thing. And now we have to cover the walls so they look like dirt. And they're like, okay, so the walls are covered in dirt. And they have all of these big cavernous spaces and also specifically there's the the long kind of hallway cavern that leads to the big open area mm-hmm. and so when you have that and you don't have recessed lighting and everything is just like because it's like you're underground so how do you light something like that and the answer was uh they went to every single goodwill and antique shop within like a five hour drive and they just bought every single lamp so <laughs> The entire movie, once they get into that interior where the the Texas Chainsaw family lives, is just lit mm-hmm. with <laughs> fucking goodwill lamps. The old truth or dare uh, technique. Yes, the, yeah, from uh, 2016's Truth or Dare. That's uh, a classic Toby Hooper move. But it, it works with the set design. And, and same thing with, you know, all of the, the, the furniture and stuff. It was all just goodwill nonsense. And they wanted to keep... The, the bones around, you know, that, that are so prominent in the original mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw. So, again, they went around to all these different farms. And, you know, if you if you got a cow and it dies, you most farmers that do cattle and stuff, they have bone pits. They'll just throw these carcasses. So they just went to every bone pit and they took every carcass, including ones that were still rotting. So you're just in this printer factory. <laughs> Everything is lit by <laughs> lamps and you just smell rotting meat. And then they took these bones and anything that was broken to integrate the bones, like, oh, this table has a broken leg. They would just use, like, oh, here's a cow's femur and just replace it with that. And that's how they integrated the bones and everything. So it looks like a place where a bunch of insane pack rats live. But it was also great because it it fit in perfectly with this budget that Hooper worked with. So, you know, completely insane and off the wall, but... I love the way that he refuses to be denied. He just will, he's going to make his movie. He's just going to power through it. And no matter what his circumstances are. And yet, Sean, you don't love it. What, what, like, what about, is it just the relentless uh, aggression and outrageousness of Texas Chainsaw 2 that just didn't jive with you? It is abrasive. And like I said, I think, I think more it's just like, uh, it's a calibration that needed that that needed to happen, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll definitely have to re- reevaluate. Um, and I is I don't even dislike them except for Life Force. It's just sort of like, oh, okay, this is what I was. I, I don't think I knew what I was getting into, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, which is true of you know uh, Jean Roland and, and Joe D'Amato, um, but uh, Roland uh, Ro- like this doesn't have as much of. Roland has a weird off, like, you know, it's a different weirdness that isn't abrasive. It's like this, this like sleepy, uh, I don't know. It's hard to describe. It's just this weird, like lazy, like lull you into a 
like hypnosis type of thing and this is just like you know very jarring um (laughs) this this is what wakes this is if you're hypnotized and uh someone with a mask made out of human skin shakes you awake yeah it's just kind of like uh it's it's just something that uh yeah i didn't know what i was getting into um (laughs) but but you know um uh the mangler I'll have to finish, and because I was, I was kind of on board for it. I mean, it opens, and I was kind of like, "This is a little shitty," but um, I started to get really into just his set work and the cinematography, and obviously Ted Levine is is like interesting. If if it's it feels like Myros, like you were talking, was that off air? Yeah, yeah. you said that it's a great case study in why character actors don't become leads. Uh, which is good, but uh, I also don't know if that's necessarily um, a detraction. Um, but I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. But it gives it this sort of offness to it. But it's also just like really beautifully, like uh, not just lit, but also just like the set design. I found it kind of great. Uh, some of the stuff that takes place in this house with you know the villain and this this uh, this woman. I can't remember if it's like his stepsister or. Something, or or stepdaughter or something like that. I can't even remember. But um, there's just some weird stuff that is shot really well. And then this score comes on, and it, it sounds kind of like this, just like a basic Hollywood, like, dark fairy tale score. But it kind of, like, takes on a mind of its own sometimes in a way that I really appreciated. Uh, so, I don't know. It just has a, a something that I appreciated that is far different from... Uh, Hooper's other stuff so I guess like my question is how like you know obviously there's a big gap in viewing from what uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 or whatever to uh, the Mangler so what like fill in that gap for me so So I think the gap is his career ending (laughs) yes slowly it it dies it dies slowly so after his deal with Canon Films uh, I mean even canon itself only had a few years left before that sort of imploded and uh toby hooper you know he's he's not a man who made a lot of movies that made any money uh the original Mm -hmm. texas chainsaw made money i don't think any of his his movies other than poltergeist uh were really profitable and so a lot of studios were not particularly interested in working with him, which is why he didn't have the same career arc as like a, a Wes Craven or um, I, I don't know uh, other horror authors from that from that period. So getting to the Mangler, if, if you look at what he's doing, he actually did a lot of TV work, uh, which I think was it was probably an easy way for him to to keep working and maybe work towards getting another film project off the ground, but. Mm-hmm. He did, I, I know he did an episode of Freddy's Nightmares, which was uh, kind of like a s- serialized Twilight Zone type thing, but with Freddy Krueger as the host. Uh, it's pretty stupid, but kind of fun. Uh, he, I think he did some Tales from the Crypt, same type of stuff. Uh, and then <laughs> the only thing I remember him doing other than that, I, he did a movie called Spontaneous Combustion, which we were joking about before <laughs> this podcast that, you know... I've seen a lot of Toby Hooper and I've read a lot about him and I feel like I'm pretty familiar with him. But up until maybe six months ago, I didn't even really know spontaneous combustion existed. So that's kind of where that movie's at for me. 
Um, <laughs> he had another movie project that he was trying to get off the ground called Body Bags. And I think he was trying to pitch it. Like, he, he did all this work on these, um, you know, uh, these vignette style like Tales from the Crypt and, and Freddy's Nightmare and stuff where they just have these short uh, horror stories. And he, I think he was trying to get his own um, version of that off the ground or maybe something like Creep Show, but for TV. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the resulting thing was everything fell apart. It didn't end up going through and getting picked up or HBO or whatever. So he put it together as a movie called Body Bags, which I think Scream Factory recently released a special edition of, but that's uh, that not particularly decent. good. I you mean, think so? Well, because there's, there's like, the John Carpenter portion of the movie is decent. The Toby Hooper version is not. <laughs> is that the one with cigarette burns? No, that's no, Masters of that's, Horror. That's which, Masters of Horror. That's later down the line. Yeah, well, we could maybe touch on that because that's some bottom rung Toby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, so he was just kind of, yeah, he was stuck in this weird TV zone, I guess, or, or just trying to get something going, kind of spinning his wheels. Uh, he did another movie called Night Terrors, which may have been another television movie i'm not sure i'm again i'm not familiar with that one uh i think that's kind of, it's, it's got robert england in it uh that's about all i can remember about it Who's so also in um the mangler also in the mangler yeah and eaten alive but this and was not masters a particularly, of thing. <laughs> and yeah and masters of horror this was not a particularly fruitful period for the for the hoopster let's just say that and the mangler was supposed to be kind of a, a return for him in a way because it's a studio movie. It's based on a Stephen King story. Uh, he, you know, he got himself a feature-length film, and he had creative control over it. He, he wrote it. Or I mean, he like, adapted the screenplay, directed it. Uh, so that this was supposed to be a big return for him, and um, it didn't do so hot at the box office. But it is kind of indicative of that later end of his his career. If you watch The Mangler, you kind of get a good idea of what Toby Hooper was doing in the '90s. <laughs> And so for me, to... <laughs> the Mangler yeah. is, I, I personally think the Mangler is God awful. And it's one of those movies where it, it certainly has its defenders out there, like passionate defenders. But yeah. at the same time, if it's on TV or if someone's just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put on the Mangler. I'm not going to complain because Ted Levine is sure. ridiculous. And just the fact that it is a 90 minute long movie about a killer Laundry pressing machine, yeah. <laughs> like, Huge sure, machine. great. Uh, yeah, I guess there was just there was a period of time in the early '90s where every single studio exec was like, "What if we did a Stephen King adaptation, but we only did the worst things possible?" And they were able to give us Lawnmower Man and and The Mangler. Well, at least the Mangler the Mangler is actually like quite faithful to the Stephen King <laughs> short story. I mean. It's obviously got a lot of nonsense to flesh out the plot. Like, there's no, like, vast conspiracy of three-fingered men in in the, <laughs> the short story. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's it's a movie I find quite entertaining, but it's not good at all. <laughs> like, it's it's a bad bad movie, but. Uh, and it, it, it's really his last kind of shot, isn't it? I, I don't think he's ever had a theatrically released movie after The Mangler. 
No, uh, I think everything else he did after that was was straight to video. I mean, some things like you know maybe the toolbox murders or Gin uh, or Mortuary. Maybe one of those had some sort of small theater run, but this was his last shot at like this is a a, a big wide release movie. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, <laughs> this is another one too where I wonder if he just blew his entire budget on creating the actual laundry machine because that seems to be <laughs> where all the money went. And it and it is to his credit, it's impressive. It is it is a beautiful <laughs> beautiful yeah. set piece. I like it. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's very indicative, especially with England. Like I I wonder what he's like to work with as an actor because his mm-hmm. there's so many huge huge performances in his movies, and that's not a good thing most of the time. But but again, like eating alive, those characters I'm talking about, it, it's just like you're wondering what the fuck he's he's saying to these people. Like it, it's just you know. What appears to like be a white-collar couple with a child comes into the hotel just <laughs> off a car trip, and then as soon as they enter the hotel, apropos of nothing, the guy just, like, fucking flips his wig and is like, gouging my eye out! Ah! Yeah. And I'm like, what? what? Where, where is this coming from? Like, wh- why is this a thing you, you allowed your actor to go with? Like, Sure, sure. And England, he's not a very... I mean, he's really good in Eating Alive, actually, but later, like, post-Freddy England is not a very rich contributor for Hooper. He he tends to devour his movies whole cloth. Like. Yeah, well, and I wonder, too, if it, is, it, is it Toby Hooper? And, and this is just seeing how most of his other movies play out. I feel like he just tells his actors to go bigger and go bigger and go bigger and just does, like, 50 reshoots until they're essentially just screaming at him. And then that's kind of his, his that's how he works with actors. Uh, but I, I agree with the Robert England thing, too, because I, I don't know. I, I think at this point in his career, because he's such a horror icon, other than working with Toby Hooper, but England is, I don't want to say he's been slumming it, but he'll basically do anything for, he's like a Sid Haig. He'll do it for a paycheck. Or a Bill Mosley. He'll do it for a paycheck. But also, you know who Sid Haig is, you know who Bill Mosley is, and you know who Robert England is. And if I'm Joe Schmo paying Robert England 500 bucks to show up on my set as my villain or whatever, I don't think I'm going to tell Freddy Krueger how to do his job. So yeah. I think that's that's part of it, too, where Robert England probably just shows up and does his thing, you know? Yeah, but he's fucking Toby Hooper. It's not like he doesn't have any cash. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I, I and maybe that's he what he wanted. It. But, but with Toby Hooper, he I don't think I've ever seen a subtle performance in a Toby Hooper movie. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's like and Craig Ted Levine, Ted Levine, I don't even know. Like, what is what is the accent that Ted Levine is doing? <laughs> Drunk. That is. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. He sounds like it's it's kind of like a little bit of the the Mike Ditka de Bears like SNL sketch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like yeah. super drunk and also trying to be a hard boiled cop at the same time. Right. And then just even. How his like the whole arc of his character for the first like twenty minutes is just like all he does is walk around going like while like people drop a refrigerator on him and he's just (laughs) zipping around in his jeep yelling at people and you're like what the fuck is going on what and he's clearly like the anchor of the entire movie like the mangler is Ted Levine you're like what the fuck I 
You know, I, I'd have to recommend that movie to just about most of our audience because it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't even describe what the hell the plot of this movie is. I, no. I, I would think that Life Force would on paper read as the most insane thing he's ever directed since the plot of that is like space vampire zombie apocalypse with sexy nude ladies. And it's just like it just sounds like a movie that should be. Uh, supremely enjoyable, but is in fact boring as, as sin. But <laughs> The Mangler may be even more insane because it is about a murderous uh, demon-possessed laundry press. It's a little, it's a little bit like Christine. Y- yes, except, you know, that's clever. Well, hold on, though, hold on. <laughs> the difference there being Christine is like a classic car, and people have classic cars. No one, and this yeah, takes true, place in true. present day, and there is a fucking laundry factory that yeah. presses sheets. What? And that's yeah, part like of the magical, weird disconnect there. It's just like this. Toby Hooper's movie. It's like is, magical realism. Yes, yes, it, it is. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's yeah. Just, this laundry factory exists in a completely different world. It's wild. Yeah, it's very like industrial revolution era design, mm-hmm. and it and everything. Like, what is going on in this movie? There is. At some point, the demon is, in fact, in a refrigerator, which is also an old-timey yeah. like, nonsense yeah. refrigerator. Uh, it's an is, ice box. It's not a refrigerator. Yeah, well, uh, it's like the sort of thing where a kid would get locked in the dump and, and uh, to fucking die. And maybe that's the genesis of the demon. <laughs> but yeah. uh, well, and, yeah. then, and then there's, yeah, like the entire... Uh, would you say like the first 40 minutes of the movie it's just random cuts to you know these Laurel and Hardy assholes carrying around this icebox bumping into people <laughs> for sure yeah and then there will just be an occasional uh, scene with where blood gets in the mangler for whatever reason and then uh, yeah some insidious people with the missing fingers show up and Robert Englund is like what does he have like cerebral palsy or something he's like dot up in ridiculous like braces on every limb and like stumbling around screaming and a little, and it's little just, touch of the polio it, it it is a it is a trip i and yeah we didn't even mention the ted levine's best pal is like some sort of british dandy like witchcraft expert oh yeah no he's he's like one of those guys that like goes to a music festival and he's just like playing with devil sticks or those uh those like metal balls that you like roll around in your hand. It's just one of those guys. He'll, he's going to sell you bad weed one of these days. That's his entire character. <laughs> it is a it's a movie. It is a script that I can't imagine how it ever got made, but yeah. Well, and I I like how you compared it to Optimism Vaccine because we we truly are the mangler of podcasts where um you know, it's it's a colossal mess, but still you're compelled to, to listen. Um, you know, there, there's probably some leftist leanings, but they, they get buried under our, you know, aggressive stupidity. Um, I have polio braces, you know, virus, you've lost a finger. So it, it, it all tracks. It does track. <laughs> all right. Well, I mean, this is, I'm sure some, some Hooper heads are going to get mad for the way we kind of like, skimmed over the later part of his career and i i would certainly be open to uh hooper part two electric boogaloo if we ever get around to it uh because there's fun. there's a lot more to, to to get into with him uh but uh, you know sean obviously you're not, you're not a hoop fan uh 
Not yet. You know, maybe, maybe he respects his hoop dreams, but not his hoop execution. What, what were your biggest takeaways, I guess, from, from just your whole Toby Hooper experience? Um, one, just having like a frame of reference for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And like Myros was saying, just sort of like learning that archetype, uh, getting experience with that archetype. Um, but the other is just the vast, well, I, that his style was kind of varied or, you know, whether that was dependent on studio stuff and finances and troubled productions or whatever, but just uh, that, um, yeah, I just got a couple, you know, I got to see a couple rooms in the house of Hooper. Nice. I like, uh, <laughs> I, I like how beyond Texas Chainsaw Massacre, his, his primary, like, influence is seemingly limited exclusively to rob zombie it's like yeah that's about it yeah i guess well, that's the other thing we should too. do him next year there's like I a thousand that, texas yeah. chainsaw massacre knockoffs but nothing else it feels like any other toby hooper movie except for again rob zombie's just obviously probably seen eaten alive like a thousand times <laughs> yeah right pretty much pretty much it, it is yeah. odd that yeah, he should... he's such an influential person in horror but yeah like Rob Zombie is the only Hooper uh-huh. disciple that I really see in contemporary cinema. That's interesting. <laughs> I wonder if we're thinking, if we're like missing some or, or don't know of others, but yeah, that tracks as far as I know. But yeah, yeah maybe we should do uh, uh, Rob Zombie next year. I wouldn't mind doing that. I'm, I'm totally on board with that, and it would uh, be a good way to kind of continue some of this discussion. But uh, yeah, Sean, I guess I guess my last thoughts on, on Toby Hooper are... Um, you're totally wrong about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. I'm disappointed in you as a person. Uh, and, you know, lick my plate, you fucking dog dick. I mean, where else are you going to hear two Tim Buck 3 songs? Lick my plate, you fucking dog dick. <laughs> what? Ay, ay, ay. Chop Top is amazing. Come on. Chop Top is pretty incredible. He is he's 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 a rep, he's a representation of, of all those Vietnam vets that came home and all they want to do is is hear it got a Davida on the radio and eat skin off of their head. Good for them. <laughs> all right, Sean. Well, I guess we're going to wrap this up. Uh, Byros, I'll let you put something over first this week. What are you putting over? Wait, am I supposed to put something over? I thought we didn't do this for these Halloween things. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, you can just put over Halloween. No, you let's love put it. over something. Cause, uh, cause uh, Sean, put over something because I don't have anything prepared. Um, I recently uh, got to watch um, A Bucket of Blood by Roger Corman, which just came out on a really nice olive signature blu-ray um and i don't know if i had seen any roger corman uh directed features before i can't remember or i don't know but i'm pretty sure i hadn't but yeah this is 1959 movie of his uh with dick miller and dick miller plays um it's just like a 65 minute movie but dick miller plays like this this like server in this like beat bar beat cafe slash bar so there's all these like losers that uh, you know sipping uh, coffee and like writing poetry and like just saying really pretentious stuff. And he become like he he uh, murders people and then creates um, a mold around them. And people think that he's just doing organic um, sculptures. Uh, and he becomes a 
a famous artist in the area and scene and people start looking up to him but um it's f- funny and dark um and uh it's also just like really good satire um and it's it's uh if you saw that Lars von Trier movie from last year that uh, or maybe it was this year um that sucked really badly um and was and was over long um this is just like the perfect the house antidote. that jack like, easton built yeah 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 uh this is like the same message more or less uh or core message um done much better and uh just more enjoyable but yeah a bucket of blood cool marios you find something to put over yet no i'm busy with school the only thing i've seen is fucking joker and that's not really worth putting <laughs> you're not gonna put over the joke is it too twisted to put over what it's too twisted? Too yeah, twisted? Well, no, I, I, I'm going to put over the discourse. It's just, you know, it's great. <laughs> Putting over the discourse. Good choice. Good choice. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to put over, you know, because it is the uh, the month of spookies, um, I'm going to put over a movie called Mausoleum. It is uh, an absolute pile of shit, uh, but in a very entertaining <laughs> way. Uh, it's a Vinegar Syndrome release. So you kind of know what you're getting into. It looks beautiful because they did an amazing restoration job. Uh it's basically this cornball movie about uh, a woman and every like firstborn girl in her family is actually a demon and her last name is like Nimod or something which is just demon spelled backwards and she has like a family book that's called like oh the Nimod family a bunch of demons and she, but no one believes that she's a demon they're just like no no this can't be true and uh, yeah, just a lot of goofy practical gore effects, incredibly stupid story, um, weird dramatic beats that don't play well. Uh, the sexy male lead looks like, I don't know, he looks like if you, if you took the snuggle bear and turned him into a man. He's just got this weird head of hair on him that is unsettling. So uh, I would recommend that if you're looking for something real stupid, a good six beer movie. That's high on my list, so that's that's what I got. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please do us a big favor and go on to iTunes. There's a link in the description to our iTunes page. And when you go to that iTunes page, I need you to do two things. It's going to take you five seconds. This is the Halloween treat. This is you putting a little miniature candy bar in my metaphorical bag. I want you to leave a five-star review. So that's just a one click right there. And then another click into the uh, the little comment box. And then just ri- write a comment. Say, uh, these guys are pieces of shit and I hate them. Or you could say, Optimism Vaccine is Toby Hooper's The Mangler in podcast form. Anything you want to say, just write it. Uh, we're, try- we're trying to get a higher iTunes review. Someone gave us three stars and they were just like, these guys have a lot of opinions and seem smart, but uh, I don't agree with any of them. Gave us three stars. So that fucking sucks. We're not a three-star podcast. We are a one-star podcast that wants to be a five-star podcast. So give us those five stars. It would truly be a Halloween delight for me and everyone else. Uh, Also, if you would like to talk to us about Toby Hooper, you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at optimismvaccine. We'd love to hear from you. You can tell us why we're wrong about everything. Talk about why Sean's dumb. You can tell me why I need to rewatch Body Bags or why Spontaneous Combustion is actually a lost masterpiece. Uh, anything you want we'd love to hear from you or you can find us individually uh, on Twitter I am at Steve Cuff that's at Steve C-U-F-F Sean where can people find you uh, letterbox at Sean Clunas alright stay off of Twitter though because you know he's 
Sean's been known to pick fights with big celebrities and get himself in trouble. So don't don't tweet at him. He'll come for your throat. Goes for the jugular every time. All right, that about does it for this episode. So uh, make sure you check out our next episode. We're going to have a totally different horror director for Sean to go through. And that will hopefully be landing next week. And, uh, yeah, that about wraps things up. 